Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about our church's Holy Week services when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part one of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 24 called The Blood of the Covenant. So let's go ahead and stand together. And we're going to read the first eight verses. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, 24, one of Exodus, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down, verse 4, all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls and peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Let's just keep reading up to 11. Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God, and they ate and drank. Father, thank you for your living word. Tonight we are desiring to draw close to you in worship, including our time in the word of God. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for the enjoyment that we'll have afterwards as we actually share some food together. Thank you for our teenagers, our kids, those who are investing in them at this very moment, our tech team uh, making this available via live stream Uh, Pastor Shane, just all the servants, those who help with the food and the greeting and just everything. There's so much, Lord, that goes on. But we lay this time at your feet that you'd make us more like you and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. amen. The blood of the covenant. Tonight, we are looking at what's called the covenant ratification, or you could just say it this way, a ceremony to make the covenant official. And Moses is called by the Lord to come up to him, and we'll talk about the implications of that as well. I will tell you that if you've done a little study of the origins of the country uh, of which you are, I think all of you in here are citizens of the United States of America, those who would talk about the founding of the country say that a good portion of our laws and our setup was taken from the book of Exodus. That's why we are called a Judeo-Christian nation, by the way, is because our founders pulled a lot of what they structured this government on from the book of Exodus, and it was very much covenantal. 
Also, we've gotten things from Rome. Rome was an incredible republic. And we would also say some things from Greece as well. But the founders, the the bulk of the founders, being believers, did pull our system of governance, the three different branches and so forth, from some of these biblical concepts that we've been going through in the book of Exodus. And I bring it up because I want you to know something that's interesting about uh, who we are. We are evangelical Christians. Evangelical Christians, if you think about what that word means, the idea of an evangelical is a bearer of the good news. We are people of the good news. So we should never forget that. Evangelicals were abolitionists, by the way. It was evangelical Christians that stomped out slavery, both in England and the United States of America, saw an ungodly law, sought to dispel with it, and it took us longer than it should have taken, and it is one of our national sins that, thank God, we're, it's in our past now. But abolitionists were evangelicals. They were pushing to get slavery done away with. They, they called it an evil. And I will say to you, in much the same way, the evil of abortion is now kind of on the table, right? And you've heard that there's been a leak, and I don't know if they've made it official yet, but that the Supreme Court is going to overturn, at least federally, the Roe v. Wade decision. And the Roe v. Wade decision, since that decision, I think it's been about 60 million plus babies that have died at the hands of abortionists in our country. Now, we only have about 330 million people in America today. So I want you to think about that number, around 60 million babies have been offered on the altar. That would be, what, one-fifth or something like that uh, of the current population we have aborted. I remember uh, I was on a radio team with a group of pastors, and a gentleman called in, and he said to one of our pastors, we have aborted the kingdom of God. And I didn't know what he meant by that, but one of, our, one of the brothers that was on the broadcast said, I know what you mean, brother. And he was specifically talking about how many children we've lost. And uh, you've got to start by just thinking about it this way, that a nation is going to be reflected in its laws. Uh, who a nation is, who a nation worships, what it believes will be reflected in its laws. And so if we have an ungodly law on the books, like abortion, on a federal level, that should be done away with. And, and I would argue that it's not even enough to say that it's going to be up to the states, although that is a move we, we might say in the right direction. Now, we do have people inside and outside the church that seem to be kind of torn or confused on this issue, almost thinking that if this holds up, then more people will die. I've, I've seen that uh, sentiment, and that's just not true. The idea of back alley abortions before Roe v. Wade and all of that may have happened, but they were very rare. The heartbeat bill in Texas has saved thousands and thousands of children, just that bill alone. So quite the opposite is actually going to occur. We're going to protect the most innocent among us if we pass a law that would stop this once and for all. 
And people have been praying for a long time. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have compassion for someone who has a crisis pregnancy. That's why we have crisis pregnancy centers that have popped up all over the nation because Christians, evangelicals, and other, uh, other expressions of the faith heard that criticism. And we realized, yeah, we need to do something that more than just being against something. We need to be on the side of those who are in crisis. That's always been the case of the church. The early church actually were saving children from infanticide in the Roman Empire when they would just throw their babies away. Christians were the ones picking up the babies and adopting them into their homes. This has always been the story of the church. We believe in just right laws, but we are also people of great compassion because we know how it is that we were saved. Amen? And we know that if we were in the same spot, we would want the compassion of someone, not the condemnation. But we've got, to, we've got to have a good balance of both, is what I would say. I'll give you one analogy, and I'll, I'll be off of this, but it's leading us into this section. Greg Coco once gave the illustration as follows. He said, say that you were in your backyard, and you were digging in your garden. You had your back turned to your little child, and your child came up behind you, and you, you didn't turn around and said to you, Daddy, can I kill this? Um, what would be your reaction? You would turn around and say, kill what? Now, if there was a big spider on the brother's shoulder, you might say, yeah, smack it. Or if a bee was about to sting you, stomp on it. But if he was pointing at his sibling, you would say, no, (laughs) you cannot kill this, right? You have to know what it is. And once you know what a child is, which both in scripture and from science Life begins at the moment of conception. It's really indisputable. Uh, it doesn't matter what if you're in the first trimester, second or third trimester, that child, when the mommy and daddy's, uh, yeah, come together, um, life begins at the moment of conception. This is what you need to know. And this, once you know that that's a child made in the image of God, All other arguments end right there. Because if it is the taking of an innocent life, there are no other arguments that can be made. Even if you want to talk about extreme exceptions, they are exceptions. And uh, I think we know what they are. And even in those cases, that child, I don't, I, I, I think you would all agree is innocent and should not pay the price. Even though the circumstance may be extremely difficult. Once we know what it is, In fact, I would tell you that if in the first trimester your parent made a decision to go through a procedure like that, you would be gone. Not a potential you. That was you in the womb at four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, 16 weeks, 20 weeks, etc. And if an abortion occurred, you would be gone. Not a potential you. You. So now it gets really personal, right? It's, not, it's out of the realm of philosophical argument and into the realm of life and death. And I will say, always saying, if you've been through this, there's no condemnation. Because many of us did things in ignorance. Many of us you know, made mistakes and God's grace is there for us. But our country is so divided and so confused And if we can't get this one right, I mean, I just don't understand how 
how we can't understand this, how we, how we don't get it. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Resurrection Sunday is almost here. Moving through the book of Matthew, talking about the kingdom of God and anxiety and how to overcome it in the words of Jesus. Pastor Michael Lance has invited you to celebrate Easter at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. Early risers can come to the first service at 6 a.m. Just bring a chair and a blanket, maybe a carafe of coffee or whatever you need, and we'll be celebrating the Lord early in the morning as the sun comes up. Visit Living Truth Christian Fellowship on Easter Sunday for the 6 a.m. sunrise service, the 8.30 service, 10.30 service, or for the Spanish-speaking service at 1 p.m. Remember, you can always tune into our YouTube channel If you are not available to join us live or locally, we have a YouTube channel and you can get to it at walkintruth.com. The address is 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. Download the Living Truth app for more information or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's the Living Truth app or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. You know, made mistakes and God's grace is there for us. But our country is so divided and so confused. And if we can't get this one right, I mean, I just don't understand how, how we can't understand this, how we, how we don't get it. So that's all I'm going to say because Pastor Shane and I will do more on this. But this leads us into the covenant in Exodus 24.1. He said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders, probably representatives of the nation. They may have been assembled in, back in chapter 18, the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. We're still here at Mount Sinai. Moses alone, however, shall come up nearer to the Lord but they shall not come near the 70 plus, nor shall the people come up with him. The people were to stay behind the boundaries that we had uh, talked about earlier when we studied the book. And now God is calling up this group of representatives. You have Moses, who will come nearest to the Lord, verse one. He will come up to the Lord. You have Aaron, Moses's brother. He will become the first high priest of Israel. Nadab and Abihu are the two oldest sons. They will also be priests. You have the 70 elders or the, or the uh, ancients, if you will, probably representatives of the tribes. These are the ones on whom the blood is sprinkled that we'll talk about in a moment. And they are called to worship at a distance. Only Moses, Moses the mediator, Moses the go-between, the one if you will, between heaven and earth that represents God to the people and the people to God. He shall come near to the Lord. They shall not come near. They, they have to worship at a distance, nor shall the people come up with him. The, the rest of the masses, if you will, have to stay behind the, bound, the bounds that have been set up. Exodus 24 is a dramatic covenant moment. You could even call it an early worship service. And worship is all about meeting God. So you might say, why do we worship? Why do people gather in churches on Sundays and Wednesdays? We come to meet with our Lord, amen? We come to worship him, to draw near to him, and of course, to draw near to one another in fellowship. And so a covenant is going to be cut 
the blood of the covenant, if you will. And since covenant is a big deal in this chapter, let me define covenant. The Hebrew word for covenant is barit. It's spelled B-E-R-E-E-T. It, it is from the Hebrew word to cut. And it means that something sacred is taking place. That is a sacred relationship. In the Hebrew picture language, barit, covenant, literally means the sign or the cross of my son. It combines the bar, which means son, like bar mitzvah, the yud, which is kind of a grabbing hand, which would be my, and a tav, which if you look it up in Hebrew, is in the shape of a cross. And so when you take the original letters, it, it would mean the sign or cross of my son. So the covenant points ultimately to the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? And of course, we know that's where the ultimate covenant will be literally cut. Jesus will be cut for our transgressions, wounded for our sins. He will bleed the blood of the new covenant so that all the sacrifices you read about that may confuse you in the old covenant are all pointing to that ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. Now, in 24.1, it says, Then he said to Moses, and what came before all of this is a um, treatment of the laws of Israel. The Ten Commandments were given in Exodus 20, starting in 21 through 33, or 21 through 23 chapters, we have the covenant code, and uh, that's the kind of the everyday laws. So look at the end of Exodus 23, look at verse 32. Here's how the, the previous chapter ended. You shall make no covenant with them when you go into the promised land is the idea, and or with their gods. They shall not live in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Now, the end of the chapter on the covenant code, the detailed laws coming from the 10 uh, big laws, if you will, was a treatment on uh, the big things like you shall not murder, you shall not steal, etc. And then everyday life experiences. How do you apply this law? And then it, it got summed up with a final warning, if you will. Make no covenant with false gods, 2332, and don't allow them to permeate into you and sin against me. Because if you, ser if you serve their gods, false gods, they will surely be a snare to you. How many of you can say, been there, done that? <laughs> right? We, we know that there's the false gods of this world. If there's anything real behind those false gods, it's demonic. And if we delved into that, which many of us would have to admit we did at one point, they became a snare to us. And that's what God is warning against. He's saying, look, this is what will happen if you follow their ways. So chapter 24 now is ratifying the covenant or the covenant code. And this is what's happening in a ceremony uh, in terms of the teaching before us. If you look ahead just for a moment, it ends in a covenant meal. And this is how ancient covenants work. Moses 24, 9 went up with Aaron. And of course, the Christian church has followed this. We do potlucks and low-fat cookies, you hope, and things like that. 
Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, the 70 of the elders, 70 of the elders of Israel. And notice what happened. They saw the God of Israel. That is an amazing verse. And under his feet, there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Now notice that the only thing that's described is what was under his feet. Yet, the expectation was if you saw God, you would die. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they beheld God and they ate and drank. You've been listening to The Blood of the Covenant, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 24, 1 through 8. Now, you're invited to our Holy Week services this week. Pastor Michael is the Senior Pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. Pastor Michael hopes you attend your church's services, but if for some reason you are not able to attend, we're live streaming our Good Friday service at 6 p.m. Pacific Time and our Easter Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. We like to call it Resurrection Sunday, but anyway... Get all the information you need by visiting walkintruth.com and click on church or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com and click on church. Now here's Pastor Michael with a word before we go. Well, perhaps you've heard before that Jesus fulfills the law and you're wondering, well, what does that really mean? Well, Jesus certainly fulfills the ceremonial or sacrificial system and he fulfills the moral law. And of course, the Jews even had the covenant code or the law that governed their society under theocracy. Let's talk a little bit about the blood of the covenant. The blood of the covenant, the old covenant, is fulfilled in Jesus being the sacrificial lamb of God. And you may have a question. Maybe you have, uh, for example, a a friend that's uh, Jewish and hasn't trusted in Christ, or maybe a friend who is um, part of another religion and just says, you know, I believe that uh, if I ask for forgiveness, I've got it. But the question is, on what basis do you have it? And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood in Hebrews 9, there is no remission of sin. Now, that might not make complete sense to us, but here's what it's pointing to. God is just and he will judge sin, and thus a sacrifice is needed And if it's not us paying the debt, then someone else has to pay it, namely the perfect sinless son of God. This is what the Bible teaches, that God took his wrath out on his son. And when he bled and died on the cross, he was taking our place. He was the atoning sacrifice. He died in our stead. And if you haven't applied the sacrifice of Christ to your life by repenting and trusting in him, then you don't have his perfect sacrifice. So the question is, what do you have? And the answer is, all you have is your own righteousness. And if you stand before God in your own righteousness, let me just ask you, since we've been looking at the Ten Commandments recently, how would you measure up to the Ten Commandments in word, thought, deed, motive, uh, when you fail to do the right thing. I think we can all see now we need the blood of Jesus. We need his sacrifice applied to us. And the the writer of Hebrews, we happen to be teaching through Hebrews in our midway week uh, service right now, 
says, if you go back to the blood of bulls and goats, there's no more sacrifice there. It's been fulfilled. You can't go back to the shadows when the fulfillment has come. You can't go back to the old when the new has come. You can't go back to the shadow or the obsolete when the fulfillment has come. This is much of the emphasis of the book of Hebrews, and it makes sense of some of the more difficult passages like Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. So I hope that makes sense for you. And, you know, maybe it does raise some questions. Let me move to the positive for a second. Praise God for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who took my sin and my punishment at the cross, the Lamb sacrifice for us. You know, resurrection weekend, uh, Sunday is coming, but Friday happened as well. And Friday, we commemorate the blood shed for us, the death he died for us. And it's good news, really good news, because Jesus saves. And this is how he saves, through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and triumphant resurrection. Do you know him? I think that's the key question for any of us, personally speaking. Do you know him? And if you do, rejoice. And if you don't, trust him now. Salvation is a gift. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We simply receive it. We grab on to the life, uh, you know, the life preserver thrown to us in Christ. Just grab hold of eternal life, place faith in Christ. And if we can help you in any way, reach out to us at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. If you open your heart to Christ, we would love to celebrate with you. Send us a note in the comment section at walkintruth.com. This is Pastor Michael Lance. We'll catch you right here tomorrow for more in the book of Exodus. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 24, 1 through 8, called The Blood of the Covenant. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.